So you want to get your MBA and you've got a few questions. Well, we've got answers. Welcome to the MBA podcast, the spot for honest and actionable advice about business school. For more information, check out our site at thembapodcast.com. Now, here's your host, David O'Brien. This episode is our first interview. First, though, speaking of firsts, let's do some housekeeping. I've purchased some new audio equipment, so I may be sounding a bit different during various future episodes and even within this episode. I'm working on increasing my podcast and audio editing knowledge, but I'm trying not to let it slow down my ability to get podcasts out there, since I know you need this information ASAP and could probably care less if I had all my audio settings perfectly in tune. Additionally, I'm doing a lot of remote interviews and the audio quality of both myself and my interviewee is pretty variable. In sum, I appreciate your patience. Oh, and yes, that was music you heard because I wanted to learn how to put a little intro music into our podcasts. Moving along, uh, you're about to hear an interview with my friend Dean. He's a personal friend of mine, but also a very good MBA candidate. Still, though, I'd like to give you an honest profile of all the people we interview. So Dean's got a great work history and a very authentic and clear reason to get an MBA. What Dean doesn't have, though, is a great GPA or a name brand, super recognizable undergraduate institution. He's doing a few things to compensate for these issues. Namely, he's studying hard for his test and getting prepped to write some killer essays. He and I are going to mostly discuss test prep as that's what he's currently doing. But I know the content of his essays and they explain his experiences during undergrad that contributed to his lower GPA. I'm going to leave this up to him if he wants to share that part of his past with the world and It's not really my place to push him to do so anyway. What I can tell you, though, is that he faced some intensely hard challenges in undergrad and truly made something amazing out of it all. It's it's really inspiring. Uh, So he's not hiding or shying away from his downhill portions on Mount application. He's addressing them and addressing them well. Now, enough preamble. Let's get to it career has known they wanted to get their MBA. This is something that I think came about in the past two years in my current job. Uh, I work in the audio space at the moment um, in podcasting, funny enough. Um, And a lot of the people I work with at this tech company that uh, I'm currently at, um, they do have their MBA. They speak very highly of it. They're very encouraging. So for the past two years, I've really been considering it. Um, and then now I'm at a point in my career, I'm 27 years old, I'm wearing, I'm wondering about what's next for me. Um, what do I want to learn? What experience do I want to have to take forward with me in my career? Um, and an MBA just really made the most sense. So was it, it sounds like you have some people, we've talked about this, you have some um, people at your work who have MBAs as well. Um, was it a combination of talking to them and doing research online or... Um, yeah, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but how much did you use like, you know, poets and quants or things like that? It was a lot of both for sure. It wasn't just looking at one article and talking to one person. It was talking to five or six people. Um, ones that are maybe around my age or are in business school or have just graduated. And then, you know, older professionals at my company who have been in the industry for 20 plus years, um, who can really offer you know their advice on where the MBA programs are now and, and where they stand in a candidate's profile versus where they were when they did it. Um, so I think considering both of those was was big. And, and more importantly, the responses I got in each of those scenarios was a resounding go for it. You know, I, I had an amazing experience. I think it's a big part of why I got to where I am now. Um, and I, I, I've never regretted doing this for a day. 
Awesome. Yeah, that, that does seem to be universal with people that the MBA is for better or worse, definitely one of the few degrees nowadays that still remains absolutely worth it. Definitely. For sure. Definitely. Was your next step choosing schools to apply to? What, what was actually your next step after you said, I want to get an MBA? So I think it kind of one flowed into the other. It wasn't, okay, I'm deciding I'm going to do this. And then looking at schools, it kind of worked hand in hand where as I was deciding that I wanted to go through with this, um, I was also considering the the cost of it. You know, I before I really decided, okay, this is what I want to do. I had to find some schools that I was maybe going to be interested in, check out the the costs of each of those, um, see if there were you know any ways I could do this alongside my job, or if I wanted to do a full time program. Which of those schools offered what? Um, so once I really decided I wanted to do a full time program, was when I got into the weeds of okay, which school makes the most sense for me? And through that, a lot of what I was looking at was around what I do for work currently, because ideally, I would love to stay in, in this field, in this realm of, of what I'm currently doing in the audio space. Um, and also location played a big factor as well. Perfect. So location, essentially, you know, that you want to return to the audio space. So does that specific school help you get there? Mm-hmm. And then, um, as with everybody, definitely cost. Yeah, um, I think I think those were big, big pieces. Um, and also, you know, in what I mentioned earlier, speaking with the n- numerous people that I did, whether it be my colleagues or my friends, um, a- a- an answer I seemed to get pretty frequently was make sure you go to a good school. And the definition of that can vary depending on who you talk to. Some people will say, don't go to unless it's a top three. Some people will say, don't go unless it's an M7. Some and a lot will say, you know, a, a top twenty makes the most sense. I think, um, and, and especially with you know the costs associated, make sure you're actually going somewhere that will provide one great career resources, and also two is actually worth the time, the money, and the effort. I actually want to call that out because I have not mentioned it. Thank you so much for bringing that up on the podcast. Yet, um, when you're vetting out schools, dear listener, um, career resources is kind of one of those no BS, not fluffy things that you should look for. The school can be, and Dean will talk about it a little bit, why he chose some of the schools he did because they're in the the market or the sector that he's looking at. But that's all cool and, and fine. But if they don't have good career placement, a good career services, that's indicative of a, a, a subpar school. Um, mm-hmm. Just wanted to highlight that because you brought up a good point. Uh, let me run this by you, Dean, because this is funny. Um, in an earlier podcast, I was comparing Colorado State University's MBA program to something like Harvard or uh, let's do um, Wharton because Wharton's actually at a clean $250,000 for their MBA. CSU, yeah, which is not ranked. CSU's program is almost $120,000. Originally, I really didn't want to speak poorly because I think CSU is a great school. But in terms of what you had just said, that rank really does matter. Um, I am of the mind that there is no reason to go to a CSU for $120,000 unless you have a gigantic portion of that paid for. Um, would that be your experience too? Absolutely. And I would even go one step further in saying that maybe not even worth going at all. And that's, I don't want to be disparaging to CSU. I, I truly don't know enough about their program to even say that. But from my personal experience and really what I've narrowed my focus on is a top 20 school. Um, and an M7 is definitely at the top of that list, um, being Chicago Booth. So, you know, 
if you're someone who's in a career right now that like myself, um, who is taking a risk of leaving that career to go pursue an MBA for two years of their lives where they're not going to have an income, regardless of how much money they're getting, they are still spending their hard work, hard work money on rent and, uh, time away from building a, you know, years of experience in the job to go and do this thing. I think it has to be worth it in every aspect, not just financially, but if you're you know, in the way I like to think about it, um, because I have interviewed people before, no one with an MBA, but you know, maybe down the line. And I know how people look at these types of things. If they're stacking up two candidates against each other and one has a CSU degree MBA, um, and, regardless of whether or not they got a full scholarship and they're up against the Wharton uh, graduate, the Wharton graduate is getting it 10 times out of 10. That is awesome perspective and absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess on the on the flip side of it, the cost, who cares what you paid? Wharton's getting the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that is that is true. Exactly. Um, let's back up real quick because you had a good um, plug in there for, uh, you said once you decided that you were going to do a full-time program, can you tell me how you got to deciding? a full-time program was the right fit for you? Yeah. Um, so again, going back to just, you know, talking with people, getting their experience. One of my best friends is currently doing a part-time MBA program at NYU Stern. Um, she is working for a big talent agency on their VC team. Um, it was kind of, I wouldn't want to say a prerequisite, but from what she's told me, a number of the people on her team have their MBA. And if you want to move up in that field and specifically on that team, um, then it's, it's, it's almost required that you have one. Um, so she's doing it part-time because she wants to stay in this job and because it's, it's a little bit tougher from what I gathered to maybe go back after you've spent two years away. Um, but it's a grind. It's really, really a grind. And I think the experience that she's getting versus what someone would get out of a full-time two-year program is so, so different. Um, and, and, and it's really important to focus in on like what exactly you want out of that experience. If you want, and, and for lack of a better word, the rubber stamp at the end of your program where it says, I got an MBA from NYU Stern, and it was a prerequisite that j just for me to move up in this job, great, then that might make the most sense for you. Um, but what I really wanted out of this was the full fledged experience. I wanted to connect with my peers and my classmates, have these, you know, sessions and, and, and projects and case studies and trips um, and, and really everything that comes along with it. I, I, I love the idea of really just committing yourself fully to the program for two years where I think it's tough, right? If you have a full day of work and, and this is speaking from someone who's doing, you know, studying for the GMAT alongside a full-time job, I think, you know, you end up having a bit of a diluted experience in the sense that if you're going to do a statistics case study after working a 10 hour day, you're going to be much less inclined to put your full effort and to, to really, you know, dive in on that rather than just getting it done to get it done. Um, so that's not what I want. I don't want to just get it done to get it done. I really want to take my time to learn these things, to, to meet with people, um, to have that different experience. I, I think I could not have said it better it, myself. The, the diluted experience is a perfect way to put it. And, um, I certainly do need to do an episode on full-time, part-time executive mm -hmm. and online. 
And it's great for some um, but, people. Don't get me wrong. That's that's yes. that's my point there. Like it, it it really depends on the person. Um, for me, full time made the most sense. I will I will give our listeners a little thing to chew on here, though. This is a, a thought. Um, the big big consultancies out there, like McKinsey and Bain and BCG, they send junior consultants to MBA school, fully scholared, and then bring them back as senior consultants. It's the normal trajectory. That being said. Even though they are staying within the same company itself, not just sector, but same company, Bain sends them, all of them, McKinsey sends them to the full-time program, very specifically the full-time program. And then they come back. The full-time program is valued. Um, It's not diluted. I think, I think you said it perfectly. Definitely. And and it's also probably worth noting, and I don't know too much about that, but they have been doing it so long that those companies are structured in a way where they know these people will come back. They have it in writing um, that they built it out over the years where besides the ones that you've just mentioned, I don't really know anywhere else that's doing that. So unless you're working for one of those three, um, I, I would say really weigh the pros and cons. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now let's move on to what you're doing right now, which is test prepping. Yes. So, Let's begin simply, though, with the most frequently asked question. How did you choose between the GMAT or the GRE? Uh, so at the start of, you know, deciding what I wanted to really do, um, it was obviously between the two, GMAT and GRE. The GMAT focus wasn't available when I was picking between the two. Um, so I just took a practice GRE, practice GMAT, back-to-back, Saturday, Sunday, I did slightly better on the GMAT, um, but not you know a, a significant amount. Um, I think it was just really my experience taking both tests where I saw myself excelling on you know the GMAT a little more than the GRE. Um, I'm a bit better at math than I would say on the reading parts, um, and I found the reading to be a bit more difficult on the GRE. So that w- was was the first thing, and then. Once I really got into the weeds of it, um, I found that the, this GMAT focus was being released in November. Um, what areas they were removing and said, okay, this one now is the clear choice. Perfect. And then um, I think to kind of get in front of one of the probably quick follow-ups to that, mm-hmm. um, can you, I know we've talked about this, but can you tell me, um, so our listeners can hear, what's been your experience with the GMAT focus being accepted at schools? Yes. So initially there, there had been a lot of speculation for, I think like six months when they officially announced they were going to do this uh, in March of 2023. It is now October of 2023. Um, So there's a lot more info now, but it was a lot of people on Reddit and on these GMAT sites saying, you know, will Harvard take this? Will Wharton take this? Um, By what round will they start accepting this test? Um, so we really had to wait to, to, to know which schools would be taking this. And I think with the exception, maybe two or three, all of them will be accepting the GMAT focus, um, in, I believe past round two, because again, it's only being offered after November, um, of this year's applications. Yeah, And I think those um, two were, were maybe Wharton and Stanford that just weren't taking it for round one and two. Um, but yeah. uh, for those of you, for those listeners that don't know, they are phasing out the original GMAT in 2024, I believe. Uh, and the GMAT focus will become the new test that everyone takes. Perfect. Thank you. And listeners, when, when in doubt, I cannot say this enough, as good as Reddit might, well, Reddit's a little bit of a, <laughs> a hit or miss, uh, as good as clear admit or poets and quants are, go to harvard.edu, go to stanford.edu. Yep. Yep. That is the 
official answer. Um, really, uh, as Dean just said, though, it's just a matter of time. Um, the the original GMAT is going away. I will say, too, for any, uh, you know, it could just be anything outside of just what tests they're accepting. Um, I found the emails uh, for those schools to be great resources. If you reach out, chances are they're going to get back to you in a day. Um, and they're really, really helpful. Um, they want to answer your questions. They want to make sure you have a complete application. Um, they're not going to BS you. They're not going to be cryptic and say, oh, yeah, you can take the GMAT focus and roll the dice. No, they'll tell you explicitly. We're not going to take it until round three or, or until 2024. Um, so don't be afraid to just shoot them a note. Absolutely. Uh, as someone who worked in admissions, I can echo that sentiment. The only time where you might get a delayed answer, and this should make sense to most of you, is uh, about five days before and five days after a um, uh, round mm-hmm. deadline. That's just all hands on deck. But that is a giant part of their job is to get you into the school and they have no reason to withhold any information. So. Um, and you're not going to bother anybody by asking a question like that. That is a good, good question. So, um, all right. That, that being said, um, you, you're doing the GMAT and tell me about, uh, I know that you're using, you're using a test prep program, um, in, in previous episodes. And I still say this, uh, uh, Dean has had a good experience. He and I have talked about it, but I'm going to let him talk about it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. I would still encourage everyone to lean towards saving their money and view all of these test prep sites with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. But you're going to hear a good experience here um, yep. from Dean. So I'm going to let him, um, I know where it's going. So Dean, if you could just basically tell us kind of who you're using and why you like them and maybe maybe how you found them sure, as well. Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll give the whole experience here. So precursor to this, uh, I wish I had not been under such a time crunch as I was. Um, For the majority of these programs, they actually will offer you a one-week trial or a three-day trial, where at the very least, you can get a sense of how they teach you what their program is, how it's structured, um, how you can map it out uh, uh, across the span of three or four months. I didn't take those steps. Um, What I did is I went to you know, that that group of people who I'd been working with before, the friends that had done this and, and said, which one did you take? What did you find most effective? Um, and the answers I got were Manhattan test prep, uh, Target test prep, and I believe one other that I'm blanking on. Um, I ended up going with Target test prep. The reason I did this because at the time um, in August of 2023, there were not many of the top test programs out there that were offering t- uh GMAT focused resources. So that was a big consideration. I was aiming for Manhattan test prep because that was, you know, the, I'd say 75% of the people that I spoke to use Manhattan um, and they, and they loved it. Uh, they unfortunately did not. And I, I don't believe they offer it even currently. Um, but I had to choose one obviously because I was going to take the GMAT focus. So I went with target test prep. My experience so far has been, it's great. Um, it covers pretty much everything you need to know with a number of test prep questions, um, lessons, videos explaining how, you know, these questions are answered. If you messed up on them, they'll show you exactly how to get to that answer. I love that piece of it. Um, One thing I will note is that the way they structure some of these programs is going to be um, based on a time. So if you give them, I have three months until I take the test, they're going to try to map it out best for you to, to, to do that and leading up to your test. 
Others will say, okay, how much time can you actually put in per week into studying? So if you tell them 20 hours, they might spit out, you know, it's going to take you seven months to complete all of this. And you're going to see that and be like, whoa, I do not, I do not have seven months to tackle all of this. And, I, and furthermore, I don't want to spend seven months doing this. So make sure you look for the programs that fit into your schedule, um, that allow you to be flexible. That was a big part for me. Um, if you're someone who's willing to take the time and, and, and do these uh, online seminars where they have them scheduled for maybe it's Wednesday from 5 to 9 p.m. or Saturday from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., that's great. I didn't have that luxury, so I needed something that I could go at my own pace. Target Test Prep fit that perfectly. Thank you. And that's targettestprep.com, right? Yeah, I believe that is, so. Yeah, yes, target, targettestprep.com. Okay. Um, additionally, I know we had looked at this earlier. Uh, don't quote us on this, listeners, but the packages range anywhere from like 230 bucks a month to thousands of thousands of dollars a month. But the low end at 230, one, um, yeah, that's expensive, but that's not an insurmountable burden for getting into an MBA school. I think that's appropriately priced for what they're offering. Mm -hmm. Um, additionally, it, uh, it looks relatively complete. Like you can get a lot for that. So as of right now, again, um, as Dean has said, is October of 2023. Um, and I've told you guys before that I'm not going to give blanket endorsements. So, um, as a, as a timely endorsement, at least as of right now, and I'm sure next year too, not much will change. Target test prep seems like a decent website. If you know, you need a, um, test prep site. Definitely. So. And to add on to that, again, I'm also not being endorsed by them. I wish I was because I, I think I paid around <laughs> right. $600 for this. Um, but that <laughs> 230 that you mentioned, I believe only covers one month. Unless you're okay. not currently working a full-time job, it's going to be nearly impossible to get all of their content um, completed in a month span. So take that 230 with a grain of salt. They do do it by month. So if you're able to do it in two months, you're just paying 230 times two. Um, I paid for, I believe the three or a four month program. And it was about $600 with the promotion that they were running. Um, I do think it's doable in four months, but again, it's all based on how much time you have, how much time you're willing to put in. Okay, Dean. So I, I wanted to ask you about kind of a higher level concept here. And I talk a lot in the podcast about people spending too much time on one section mm. of the application. Everyone knows what I'm referring to. It's obviously test prep. And an interesting thing that popped into my head was that we're talking about how people might not have time or they may have time to do seminars for the GMAT, to study for the GMAT, to pay thousands of dollars potentially for the GMAT. I don't see that type of attention to almost any degree usually being paid towards essays, which now I may be biased here, but truly trying to be objective, I would honestly argue is just as important. Uh, I'd love to get your take on that because the, the the picture that I see when I talk to a lot of MBA applicants like yourself mm -hmm. is that there is something legitimate to be said for getting a good test score, right? You Definitely. want to, absolutely. But I'm wondering if you could give some thought to, you know, is there that huge disparity with how much time and effort you're even maybe even practically going to be able to put in to your essays? And then two, is this in a way kind of falling victim to the fact that when you look up on Reddit in MBA, the GMAT and GRE are going to be the majority topic, right? Mm -hmm. that, what you are faced with as a consumer, if you will, is a lot of GMAT, GRE stuff and relatively little essay things. So again, to, to clarify my question, what are your thoughts as a current applicant 
on the disparity of focus on the test, tests versus the essays? That's a great, great question. Um, my honest response, and, and this is how I would probably generalize most applicants, I think there's a bit of cockiness there around, you know, I think everyone goes into the GMAT saying, I don't know all these topics. I'm going to have to study. I'm going to have to put in a lot of time if I want to get a good score. But I think a lot of people will not look at their essay and say, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm probably pretty good at selling myself. I know myself a lot better than I know the stuff on the GMAT. This won't take me nearly as much time, so I won't need to put in as much time. Does that make sense? That's completely fair. I think that's a great perspective that honestly I could not bring to it because I have not taken a GMAT. Mm -hmm. I took a GRE years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a much scarier <laughs> thought to go and take a test that has linear and quadratic equations and combinations and permutations than it is to write an essay about how great you are. That is an extremely good perspective, and it's honestly going to require me um, off of off of this podcast. I won't bore our listeners to death, um, but I'm going to probably address that maybe maybe with you in a different interview or just in its own um, episode. But I think that's really something cool to chew on there. I appreciate that definitely. And I mean, it, it really only takes someone like yourself, David, or an actual admissions counselor to tell that applicant this is just as important. Spend as much time on the essay as you would anything else, or at least you know. Don't just pass over it and think that you can spend a couple of days on it. Um, because without that advice, I would have done that. I would have, you know, especially since you look at these applications, um, I'm looking at UCLA's, for example, it's 250 words. You look at a 250 right. word personal essay versus a GMAT that typically takes two to three months to study for. Obviously, you're going to wait one more, uh, uh, more over the other. You know, You've maybe maybe changed my tune here too, and I need to reword this for our listeners. Um, my initial thought, and again, I'm going to give a lot of thought to this, but my initial thought is that maybe there's something to be said about effort versus time. That the GMAT GRE for so many practical purposes, including just not you know burning out studying wise, takes just flat out more time. Yeah, and I think also it's ingrained into us to believe that because. These schools are requiring us to take a test that takes so much time, three or four months out of your year, out of your schedule, out of your work life to effectively pass. Um, it should be weighted more than others, right? Why wouldn't we assume that? that? That should be a natural assumption that if we're going to actually spend time, money, stress uh, to, to take this test and do well on it and to get a satisfactory score to get us into one of these schools, that should weigh uh, – more over anything else that they're looking at. It, why would they not look at a 770 GMAT score over a 250 word essay? Why, why would it be equally as important? Clearly, I spent a yep. ton of time getting this score. And I got to be honest, and this was universal with everyone I worked with and everyone I know through my wife at her school. Um, we spend about as much time on the GMAT as it takes to read the number 720, which is about half a second. And that's about it. Uh, additionally, every single director knows for a fact it is not a measure of intelligence. It just isn't. Um, it's a very, very strange thing to be in. Um, but we've talked about that in other episodes. Either way, though, I really, really appreciate your answer to that. I'm going to give some thought to this. Listeners, we'll have we'll have a follow up on this in some form or another. I'm going to say right now, um, I'm thinking that I should change my tune to the amount of effort you should put in to the GMAT 
should be relatively similar to what you put into your essays, but that does not necessarily translate to time. Exactly. um, Perfect. Dean, thank you so much for that. Let's, let's move on to a little more high level questions and kind of, you know, whatever you want to do with these. I just, I just want to know personally for you, um, what were some of, or maybe if it's easiest, what was the biggest obstacle so far? And if you're, if you have overcome it, how did you, or how are you currently overcoming it? So biggest obstacle so far. In studying or just in the process in this, general? This whole process, man, it can be, you know, making the decision to pull the trigger and apply or what school, Yeah, just, if anything comes to mind. I would say the biggest obstacle has definitely been studying um, and not to just beat a dead horse around the studying topic, but no. it really is so time consuming. Um, it's really important that you, if you, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to make a lot of sacrifices. Um, one thing I always talk about with David is, is how much I love going to concerts on the weekend. I live in New York. It's, it's one of the most fun things to do here. I've had to pretty much give that up, um, entirely. Um, and, and I do have some FOMO around missing these shows and, and missing my friends and stuff they do on the weekends, um, trips that they do, you know, you're really going to have to sacrifice a lot. So that's been a massive obstacle. It's also just incredibly taxing, um, mentally, I think, and sometimes emotionally as well you will get to points where you think there's no way I'll be able to do this. Um, I am struggling to complete this one topic and it's all about just persevering and really pushing through and knowing that you will eventually get it as you did when you were growing up and and mastering these same topics to go on and take a test. Uh, It's just a matter of putting in that time and effort. Um, So that's definitely been the biggest obstacle. It's something that I'm working on every single day, either before or after work and pretty much all day throughout Saturday and Sunday. Um, the second thing that I think has been the most troublesome has been self-doubt around like the entire process. Um, it, there is a bit of imposter syndrome there, as I'm sure a lot of you guys get um, around, you know, am I good enough to get into one of these schools? I personally am not someone who had a great GPA in college. I'm not the best test taker. Um, I have pretty good work experience. But outside of that, you know, I've always been worried, you know, they're going to look at my GPA and immediately reject me. And, and one thing that is so great about talking with someone like David is he will immediately um, disprove that, that idea that you have that I'm not going to get in somewhere because I have this one part of my application that stands out and might be below the average, you know, especially when you're looking at these poets and quant sites and they give you average GPA 3.7. I'm like, oh, man, I definitely don't have a 3.7. Um, so it, it fills you with a lot of self doubt. Um, so just, you know, make sure to keep on that track and, and, and stay focused. Um, and lastly, I would say figuring out where the financial aspect of it is going to come from. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a big burden for a lot of people. I do not have the luxury of having my parents or anyone or my, my company to pay for it. Um, so it is something that I'm, I'm weighing the pros and cons of ultimately I, I do want to still do this. But for a lot of people I know, it's not entirely possible. Um, so just make sure you consider that before you even dive in. I definitely do want to discuss, well, pretty much the whole process with you, Neem, but I'd like to probably have you back on another interview later, maybe post taking the um, taking the test. And we can talk about, you know, now how are you deciding to pay for it? Things like that. I'd love um, to. Yeah, I think that'd you, be great. Yeah, you do have great insight there. I want to do one more high level question for us. And uh generic, but I think this actually does usually yield some good results. What's been a singular best piece of advice that you have been given? Singular best piece of advice I have been given. So when I initially started this process, um, 
friends got wind of it, coworkers got wind of it. And the first thing you're always asked is why do you want to get an MBA? That is also a question they ask you on your essay. It's also a question that you get asked in these MBA interviews. So to have a coherent response is obviously extremely important. But when you're just starting off, you're not going to have that response. And when you talk with people who maybe are in school or have already, you know, are in the weeds of their application process, and you get these responses that just sound so amazing and rehearsed and perfect, chances are they probably are rehearsed and they worked on them as if they were an elevator pitch for a sales job before they actually went out into the world and started telling people this is why they want to get their MBA. It can be a bit intimidating, um, and especially when you're stacking yourself up against a number of applicants who really have an idea of what they want to do and why they want to pursue this degree. Um, it's important to consider that 90% of these people are BSing. That was the number one piece of advice I got was uh, you know, from um, one of my managers at work and, and from a friend who is starting his fall semester at Darden right now, uh, is that 90% of the people they talk to, they have those scripted responses ready they actually don't really know what they want to do either. Um, they just have been, you know, working on this for so long that they are, are, are just ready to give you that response when asked. Um, but if you're someone who is not entirely sure why they want to do this, but know that they want to do it, that's totally fine, I think. Um, I'm currently in that situation. I, I, I'm not saying I want to necessarily go right back into the career that I'm currently in once I graduate. I'm not saying that I want to pivot either. And I know 60% or some statistic are career switchers. Um, it's totally fine. I think it's something that you may not even figure out until your second year of your program or until after you graduate. Um, so just make sure you have, uh, I, I think it's important to just have a response that you can give people if they ask, whether it's friends, colleagues, whoever it is, maybe not the admissions board, but you know, friends and colleagues, especially have something, two sentences that just is saying, Hey, yeah, I would love to advance my career or, uh, I, I would love to just go back to school. Boom you'll shut them up and they'll stop asking about it. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. I'm so glad you said that. Um, imposter syndrome, very real. Uh, my wife, even even post MBA kind of feels it. Uh, it's a very real thing. It's almost universal. Uh, my experience has been the people that don't feel imposter syndrome are either lying or just over validated. Um, uh, yeah. And honestly, as as someone who works in admissions, we know that your goal is very likely to change as well really what we're trying to measure with those essays is have you put thought into this because we too you know admissions directors i think i was paid like forty-two thousand a year mm -hmm. or something we're not making mba type of numbers so when we know you're going a quarter of a million dollars in debt we want to know you've given this some thought that's really what we're looking for did you ever find um, yourself in a situation where the applicant's response wasn't as clear as you wanted it to be and they they did still sound a bit confused all the time, mm -hmm. all the time. Um, it's definitely uh, a great question. It's definitely a, it's a weird one because we all kind of universally agree with what Dean just said and Dean's friend that the really clear cut answers are usually BS. And I did, I will say this, I had some vague answers that were self-aware and they said, I know this is vague, but I know the window or the doors that are going to open with an MBA. That is appropriate. The worst ones I had were just truly vague or, and this is really rare, but I guess it should be addressed, um, completely out of the realm of an MBA. Somebody wanted to create a, and I should probably make this fictitious. Let me make this up real quick. He or she wanted to create a company that essentially found camping spots for RVs. 
like a like a spot hero for RVs. This already exists. It's also called spot hero and you don't need an MBA for it. So, you know, you can either have the totally vague goal or maybe your goal is solid, but it doesn't necessarily require an MBA. So it is still at the end of the day, even if you know it's BS, good to show admissions directors that you've put in the thought of why an MBA actually helps you get where you're going. That's really great advice. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to use that when thinking about how to restructure my essay, which is currently under <laughs> its, you know, probably fifth or sixth round of edits. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, that was perfect. So uh, I want to thank you very much for coming on. I'd love to have you on again, Dean, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, I, I'd be honored. Perfect. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks so much, David.